Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. So glad that you could join us once again to, I hope, what we do here is encouraging and equipping pastors, church leaders, everyone who has a heart to stand against the problem of abortion and to stand against the evil of it uh, with a heart of love and with an effective outreach that helps the people that that are uh, believing that somehow this is an answer to a problem pregnancy. And you know our our show open talks about reproductive choice and I don't I don't believe that it's just another choice. Uh that language I guess is a bow to our culture so that uh we can have the conversation with people who are not yet persuaded of the value of all life. But week in and week out we try to bring you the ideas that will help you to speak about it in a winsome way. And if you're a pastor listening, I have someone that I hope is going to be extremely helpful for you in doing that, in your messaging, in your counseling, and even in your study. And uh, our guest is returning once more to the broadcast, John Enzer, who's the president of Passion Life Ministries. John, welcome back to Cradle My Heart Radio. Thank you for having me. Passion Life Ministries is uh, a global organization that is addressing the uh, problem of abortion in really the hot spots all around the world where abortion is uh, extremely prevalent and where it has touched everyone in the culture and where the church is providing the answer and is providing the true alternative and a real choice. And John, as we think about this, it's really key. The the work that you're doing is really centered on, as a first step, reaching pastors. And so a lot of them, uh, I think, would probably say, same as here in the United States, that it's just not an easy topic to preach on. It's not an easy topic to counsel. How do you help uh, pastors start to find their voice on the question of abortion? Yeah, that's a question I've been working on for over 30 years now, uh, and I came to it uh, for myself in a rather backwards way uh, when the people in my own church started to weep and tell me their own stories about abortion, and I realized that a lot of their problems were due to my silence over the years and leaving them really vulnerable to a lot of bad decision-making when it's my job to help people understand and discern God's will for their life. So when I speak to pastors, I'm able to speak to them as, uh, you know, as as one pastor recovering from doing things poorly to learning how to do it well. Uh, and for me, that has always meant starting with what I think 
most of the pastors I work with uh, consider their starting point, and that is the Bible. So before we start talking about what we need to do and marches for life and getting involved with politics and all the other types of points of application for living out the pro-life ethic, uh, I try to help pastors simply ask, what is my job as a pastor? It's to preach the Word in season and out. And what does the Bible say that informs us as pastors on how to lead well when it comes to abortion? And most pastors think that the Bible doesn't say much about it, but they really haven't brought the right questions to the Bible. Uh, They don't know, uh, they haven't thought through the theology or the ethics of life as it unfolds in the Bible. So we start with the Bible. And I take most of the passages I work with directly to the one passage in the Bible that I think most directly answers the question, how should I lead God's people today to respond to the shedding of innocent blood? Um, And there actually is one passage in the Bible that gets very, that directly addresses that question and it's in Deuteronomy 21. So most of your people who are listening may not be sitting where they have a Bible handy, or they might be driving, who knows. But Deuteronomy 21 is a passage that directs the leaders how to lead the people to respond when they're confronted with an innocent person being unjustly murdered. And so it's the perfect starting point for pastors. Um, and that passage of Scripture, more than anything other in the Bible, has probably gotten pastors confident uh, in finding their voice and addressing their congregation. Mm, and you wrote a book about it, and I want you to be able to give us that uh, <laughs> a mini-seminar uh, or synopsis of the book, and it's titled Innocent Blood, Challenging the Powers of Death with the Gospel of Life. I had the privilege to be in a class where you taught this material, John, and it was so compelling to me because I'd never heard it uh, preached upon at all, much less as being as pivotal as it is to God's plan for you know protecting innocent life. And um, Mm. so, I mean, in Deuteronomy, God's people are called to prevent the death of the innocents, yes, but also the blood guilt that results. And the implications of this are that everybody's involved. You can't say, I never had an abortion. You can't say, well, I'm against abortion. You can't say even, oh, I vote against abortion and then feel as if you're done with it in God's economy, according to these passages in Deuteronomy, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and as as leaders, especially in America, this is not so true overseas, but in America, there's a deep resistance among the clergy to address abortion. I think it's probably because they're defensive, um, they're unsure, uh, they have abortion in their own life that they're still living uh, with as a secret. Um, there are lots of reasons why pastors are un, are, are quiet or silent. But a lot of them, uh, they're just uncertain as to how to approach it. And Deuteronomy 21 has been the passage that has been most helpful in pastors knowing how to lead. And and just for your listeners' sake, it's a story in which, um, in which uh, 
Moses writes that if, when you get into the land, you find someone who's been murdered, I want you to do the following things. And the first thing that is instructed there is that the leaders are to measure the distance from the dead body to the various cities. And the city that's closest to the, the murdered person needs to take sort of the more accountability and to, to help the people to respond to the unjust death of that person. So I start with, you know, leaders need to lead. That's why they're there. Uh, your people, like mine, won't know how to respond to abortion unless you lead them to rightly interpret it. Just the way it is in Deuteronomy, they needed to gather the people. They need to stop what they're doing. They need to assemble them. They need to gather in a place that was uh, special. Uh, had to be land that was fertile and had running water and was very expensive, and they had to sacrifice a heifer there, and they had to pray. You know, Lord, we did not do this, and we didn't see it happening. In other words, the leaders are helping the people see the preeminent nature of shedding innocent blood. Today, most, uh, unfortunately, many, many pastors don't see abortion as the preeminent moral crisis. But I do. I think anything that involves the direct shedding of innocent blood, by definition, according to the Bible, is a preeminent moral crisis. There are chronic crises that we all face, injustices of every kind. But the shedding of innocent blood, the intention of killing of innocent people, represents and has always represented a preeminent moral crisis, going back to the midwives of Egypt who were suffering under the worst kind of social injustice in the world. They were slaves, after all, but the hill that they were wanting to die on is when they were ordered to kill their baby boys. And uh, and all the way through history, uh, that's been the case. So they were called there to assemble the people, to help them see it as a priority, and to acknowledge that the death of this one man had left them all stained with what the Bible calls blood guilt. Even though they didn't do it, and even though they didn't see it done, it still affected them all. And that's still true today. I mean, if you live in a neighborhood which, where someone is murdered, <clears throat> and there's no response whatsoever, you're living in a more dangerous neighborhood, mm. <laughs> by definition. Mm. So the death of innocent people, the intentional killing of innocent people, affects everybody. And that's why the, the elders, the pastors, the leaders were instructed to make sure that God's people stop and take this seriously. Mm-hmm. If somebody that you know is murdered, you don't need any special instructions from God as to how to respond. Right. God already tells you. You weep, you cry, you talk to the police, you grieve, you plan a funeral, you do all these different things. But when it's a stranger, we're apt to say, it's none of my business. And that's the point, is that the elders need to stop, step in and say, no, this is, this is serious, this affects us all. God knows this person. He wasn't a stranger to God. And we need to acknowledge his value. We need to go through this ritual, expensive ceremony to show that it's important to us. And we need to recommit ourselves to the, the ethics of the Bible, which is do not shed innocent blood, and do not close your eyes to it. Do not allow it to happen in your community. You know, John, I know that you 
you rely heavily and teach eloquently on the importance of the, you know the, this story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus gave us in Luke's Gospel. Mm-hmm. And the question that he was responding to was, who is my neighbor? And Deuteronomy 21 tells us, this is your neighbor. There is no stranger, right? This is, this is a neighbor because it is in your neighborhood. And this is something else that, yeah. that you've stressed to me through the years, is that, you know, when you say the word abortion, if, if we are detached from it and isolated from the reality of it, it's very easy to say, well, a political gridlock in Washington. Next. Yeah. But, yeah. It, but it's, yeah. it's a neighborhood issue. And I just, you know, recently on Twitter, I don't have a huge following there, but I, I just threw out a question, why are you pro-life? And it, you know, it got 500 responses, which was surprising wow. to me. And not too many trolls, really. Mostly very sincere people. The majority, maybe 60%, said, I'm against killing innocent human life, period, you know. But many people had stories of the grief of a lost child, whether through miscarriage or, mm. you know, they bravely shared an abortion story. Um, and, and many got very personal. Well, I had a follow-up question a day or two later asking, you know, Google abortion clinic near me and post your result. And mm-hmm. nobody wanted to answer that question, John, you know, because for me, the result was 4.7 miles. That's my neighborhood. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's actually even closer than that with the DIY Internet abortion pills. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. next door. You know, possibly. So help us catch this vision that you've had for such a long time, John, that this is our neighbor, that we are all called to be the Good Samaritan. Yeah. Well, you can you can summarize all the biblical ethics in five words. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the golden thread throughout the Bible. Going back even to Deuteronomy, if you remember, the first thing they needed to do was they needed to measure the distance from the man that was murdered to the various cities, because the closer you are, the more responsible you are, which is love your neighbor as yourself being worked out in its context. So that's the first principle. The closer you are, the more responsible you are. And secondly, the more life-threatening the evil the more a priority becomes for intervention. That is also love your neighbor as yourself. It just means that if someone has a knife to your throat, uh, do you want someone to come by and say, well, that's terrible, and I'm, I want, you know, I'm pro-life, but it's just one issue among many, many social justice issues. Or do you want someone who can prioritize and say, nope, I might be dealing with poverty, I might be dealing with unequal education, there may be a lot of problems in our culture, but that knife at your throat is now my priority, because your life is on the line. These are the prioritizing principles that you get out of love your neighbor as yourself. The closer you are, the more responsible you are, and the more preeminent the threat, the more preeminent the response is required. And that's biblical ethics, and that's why I want the Church in its neighborhood to make its first priority to reach those women and couples in their neighborhood and find a way to rescue them and give them hope regarding their unborn child. Mm. And I do that all over the world. And it's amazing how human nature responds to it all over the world, despite the many cultural differences that, that we, we might be able to cite from place to place. John Enzer is talking about his work, Innocent Blood, Challenging the Powers of Death, uh, with the Gospel of Life. 
and John is the president of Passion Life Ministries, and we'll have links to his organization and some of the resources they offer in the show notes if you visit our website at cradlemyheart.org. So it's it's in our neighborhood, and God says we have to respond. Uh, I think these things are really important, and I think knowing this, John, should strengthen pastors. It takes a huge load off their shoulders, right? They're not the only ones who are called to do something. I mean, none of us... In fact, I would say, yeah, I would even go farther, uh, Kim. I would say that the main uh, responsibility of pastors is to stick to the main thing that they're called to do, which is to teach the Bible, and then to encourage their people to mobilize around various ways of rescuing the innocent, because they won't rescue if they're not well taught. So Deuteronomy 21 is an example of leaders leading the people, helping them see the priority of the shedding of innocent blood, helping them grieving it, helping them uh, uh, recognize that it's affecting all of them, showing them that we should go out and prevent the shedding of innocent blood and let the people be equipped by God and His gifts to find the various ways to do that. Pastor's main job there is to teach and encourage and and rebuke and to train people to do the work of rescue. And that is liberating for pastors, Mm. because they often feel like they're supposed to do something more. And I say, no, just do the one thing, but do it better, which is don't skip over all these passages that talk about rescuing the innocent and the shedding of innocent blood and make the connections to abortion today so people know how to live it out. You know, and I think, John, your story illustrates something else that's very practical. Many pastors are afraid they'll lose membership, you know, that their church will be diminished if they take a strong stand and if they teach this part of biblical truth. You know, but your story says the opposite. You went from pastoring a church of a few hundred people to now leading a worldwide organization. And the path was, you know, not necessarily a direct line from one to the other, but you took the next logical step in answering the call. And and I think about, you know, the fear that pastors face in terms of numbers and, you know, competition and all of the worldliness that, yes, it is part of pastoring a church. I mean, hopefully, you know— I pastors have the Holy Spirit to lean upon. They have elders and they have, you know, all the supports in place that they need to overcome that, but probably not in many cases. And yet I think your story and the stories of people like Randy Alcorn and others who started as pastors, took their stand for this issue, and then became catapulted into great influence. Um, I think that it should be encouraging to pastors that whatever is lost yeah. <laughs> is not, you know, God God knows how to weigh the scales. Well, there's two things that I would add to that. Number one, at a practical level, if you look in my area, I live in the Atlanta area, if you look at where churches are growing uh, in these times very well, they are all overwhelmingly uh, churches led by pastors who are marked with a certain moral courage. They're not timid. People are attracted in these times especially for a pastor who will open up the book, explain what it means, apply it to our times in a way that is um, that, that summons us to be the contrarians that, that we are as Christians, going and not conforming to the patterns of this world. So I believe that confidence 
clear pastoral preaching is extremely attractive to these days, and that means not being silent on on abortion. The second thing I would say that I learned more painfully is that when you're silent on abortion, you do not want to hurt people's feelings or create controversy. Uh, you leave people uh, in tremendous pain and anguish over their own past abortions. And that is its own cruelty. Uh, silence is cruel when the solution, uh, experiencing God's forgiveness, the blood of Christ, is right there. And for many, many people, until you apply the gospel directly to the, and name the sin of abortion, uh, your silence says it applies to everything but abortion. So that's kind of my own experience. Uh, um, I had a man tell me once that he, he, he killed his wife and God could never forgive him. And that story was basically, until you can show me how God can forgive me and justify his mercy for this one thing that I did, it doesn't really matter what else you say. And that challenge I had to take up. And I think it's the same as true for abortion for many people. Until you can help me understand how God is just and merciful in the cross and can forgive me, for what I did, I feel like everything in Christianity is for other people and not me. And you can't grow a strong church with that kind of uh, disability hampering your people. Mm. That's the church I was I was pastoring without realizing it sure. uh, for a long time. Sure. Uh, we'll also put the uh, titles of John's books in the show notes for this episode of CradleMyHeart.org. But I, I want to give you the chance, John, to give us some recommended reading, what's on your pastor's bookshelf there, because I know when I studied applied bioethics with you at Oklahoma Wesleyan, uh, the bibliography was such a blessing to me. Um, I had no idea, for example, of George Grant's book, Third Time Around. Uh, maybe just yeah. give people the back cover notes on that book, because I think, again, it's very encouraging for pastors to understand it's just our turn, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you're right on. I, I think uh, George Grant's book, I believe, is out of print now, so you'd have to go find a used copy. But there are books that go into the history of, of social reformation through the ages, and uh, George Grant's book is, is one of those kinds of books that really celebrate how the Church has done things well. Uh, there's another book called How Christianity Changed the World that goes through and talks about how uh, we brought about the end of slavery and, and, and brought about child labor laws and other kinds of, of, of social justice issues where the gospel moves from the private re- redemptive work of the heart into the more of the social public sphere of influence. Uh, it ended uh, widow burning in 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 India mm. and the killing of twins in Africa, and you know the gospel is its own power. So that that book uh, is a tremendous one. How Christianity changed the world. Um, I also think that uh, Scott Kusendorf's book um, on making uh, called the case for life is just a solid starting point for anybody who wants to think the issue through in a way that allows them to engage secular, even anti-Christian uh, people 
on the injustice of abortion in a way that is persuasive and also gives us an opportunity to share the gospel with people. And then I would say, finally, uh, the last book I wrote, Pregnancy Crisis Intervention, What to Do and Say When It Matters Most, uh, is a book I wrote particularly for people who want to know how to engage people who are in crisis in a way that allows them to shepherd them along through that crisis and find a life-affirming solution. John Enzer is our guest, and he is president of Passion Life Ministries, and you'll find them online at passionlife.org. John, uh, what, do you, where, what is your hope? I mean, as you are doing this work, engaging the restoration of an entire country like China, grieving mm. lives lost to abortion, what encourages you, what helps you to put one foot in front of the other as you go about the work? Well, the... the the most encouraging thing that I have I hang on to is the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, He says that he wants to get certain things accomplished before he returns, including raising up people who will praise the name of God from every tribe and culture. And uh, if you are a student of history, if you are a student of reading world missions history, if you can read the broad sweep of history, you'll know that God is able to overcome terrible seasons where evil breaks out and nothing seems to go well. Um, But over several generations, God's Word breaks through, and He creates a redeemed people within a hard context, and He's moving things along toward an ultimate point of consummation. And so my work in India... Cuba, Colombia, I'm going to for Colombia next week. Um, it has measures of great success and outbreaks of great success, and it has times where it doesn't seem to be moving at all. And my hope is you persevere, let God do the work, because he's going to accomplish something uh, in your time and probably with several gen- over several generations that are going to uh, bring glory to his name. What a beautiful note to end on. John Enzer of PassionLife.org. Thank you so much for being our guest here on Cradle My Heart Radio. God bless. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at CradleMyHeart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.